Now, we believe that church isn't done in rows, it's done in circles, because it's good to see the face of the person next to you. How many would say amen to that? Amen. It's good, to, it's good to meet new people. It's good to build that fellowship and build that community. That is what the church is all about. And so today, as if it's your first time here at Grace, we are so glad that you're here. In the seat pocket in front of you, there is a Get Connected card. We want to help connect you to your journey of faith. If you don't get our emails, if, you don't, if this is your first time here, fill that out at the end of service as we receive the offering. Put that in the bucket. We'd love to connect with you in what God is doing. One of the things that we've been doing over the last several, uh, several weeks is hearing testimonies of people in the church of what God has done in their life. How many know, and I, I think I've read it somewhere, if I can only remember where, maybe in the book of Revelation, where it says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, how many say amen? amen. And the word of our testimony. That there's a place where we receive what God has done through the cross, but we also testify of what God has done as well. And so I want you to, to hear one of, the, one of the testimonies this morning. Would you draw your attention to the screen? So I was seven years old when I received Jesus as my savior at the Presbyterian church I attended. And at that same time, my mom brought me to a prayer meeting with her one time. And while I was there, I was on my knees and my hands were open, sincerely seeking God. I began speaking in tongues and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I look back at that event and I think, I don't think anybody prayed for me. I don't think I knew what was happening. And God did a supernatural work in my life. And I, I realized like at that same time, at seven years old, I received Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And at the same time in my family, I was living with an alcoholic parent that brought so much chaos into the house that even as I would go to bed at night, I would see demons or hear the demons screaming. And of course that brought fear. And I remember just praying, Jesus, 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 and saying that over myself until I was able to get it to stop and then go to sleep. And I look at those two events in my life to have such a supernatural encounter, especially in the demonic, but then the Lord meeting me and saying, no, you don't have to fight this battle by yourself. I'm filling you with the spirit and the power of God to combat the things that you don't know, the things you don't understand, the things that are happening around you you can't control. What a good God. Amen. But testimony leads right into our, mess, our message for this morning. And if you would turn, uh, turn in your Bible to the book of Daniel, and we're talking about the collision of kingdoms. The collision of kingdoms. Last week, if you were with us, Pastor Sammy, uh, Pastor Sammy a guest from Canada, we even let people from Canada come to church every once in a while, uh, came and ministered. But if, you, I'm sure, but if you remember to the week before that, and I'm sure all of you remember uh, our notes from the week before. We were talking about the collision of kingdoms. The collision of kingdoms. When Jesus came, when Jesus came, he came not just preaching a message of love and acceptance. Because I think that's what most of the world thinks of when they say, what is Jesus about? Oh, just love. We're just going to all vibe together. Kumbaya. Uh, can't we all just get along? And when Jesus began to preach, the first message that he preached was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was announcing the fact that there's your kingdom and there's my kingdom, and they are on a collision course. And we're going to see what happens. The, the, the message of Christ is the announcement of the kingdom of God. Not just, and not only is that the first message that he preached, but the first miracle that he did was that he cast out an evil spirit. He was announcing not just to us, the rulers of our own kingdom, and how many know, uh, let's be honest, let's be honest, how many know that we all like to sit on the throne of our own lives, all right? We all like, whether we're good at it or not, we like to sit on the, in that seat, all right? And, and Jesus announces to, our, to ourselves, I'm coming the kingdom of God is coming, and you're going to have to make a decision about this coming. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But it wasn't just that kingdom that he was coming to overthrow. It was the kingdom of darkness itself. And the first miracle that we see in the Gospels is that he's not just healing, healing the sick, but before that, he is casting out an evil spirit. He's announcing to the kingdom of darkness, saying, hey, your time here is done too. Your time here is done too. There's a collision of kingdoms that are coming. 
And we have the choice of what are we going to do about that. In fact, Jesus talks about that in the first parable that he that he uh, ever gave, talking about that there's there's your world and there's my world, and you can't just put a patch of me onto your world. It's going to mess everything up. It doesn't work that way. It's an all or nothing proposition. There's there's a clash of kingdoms. There's a collision of kingdoms that are coming. It's here. And we have to make the choice, what does that look like? Well, as believers, we have this opportunity to receive the kingdom of God. We receive the kingdom of God. And today, the Lord wants each one of us to know that his kingdom is here, it's for you, and it's better than the kingdom that you're living in right now. You may not know it. You may not know it. But it's better than it's be- having the king of kings and his kingdom be established is better than you ruling over your own kingdom. There's a collision of kingdoms. There's a collision of kingdoms. And sometimes when there's something new that's there, we don't know how good the new is. I remember, I ever had that experience where you've, you've, there's, there's something new that's, that's available and maybe you were afraid of it. Maybe you misunderstood it. But once you dove in, once you dove into that new world, that, that new kingdom, that new understanding, it was far better, far more rewarding, far more influential than you realized. Have you ever had that experience before? Both of us, that's great. Wake the person up next to you, let them know. There's some guy up there, he's talking, and maybe we should listen today, all right? I was watching, I was watching a, a YouTube video. It's, you know, we, we've all had the opportunity to get into, into YouTube and you, find, you start watching videos where you have no idea how you got on this subject or why you're watching the video that you're watching. But I was watching a video about British high schoolers trying American food. British high schoolers trying American food and they've never tried it before. And I love this video. One, because the, the boys remind me of my own teenage boys in my house and the most important thing in their life is food, all right? And that, is, that, is, that is hands down, the focus of their life right now is when will I eat, when I do, how much will I eat, and then when will I eat again? All right, that is, that is, if you ever wanna know what a teenage boy's brain is like, that is it. When will I eat? How much will I eat? And when will I get to eat again? And as these, these British kids, these British high schoolers are trying uh, a Southern food. In fact, they're, what they're trying is biscuits and gravy or biscuits and gravy. How, how many like themselves some biscuits and gravy? I love myself some biscuits and gravy, all right? I, you know, that, that white gravy, the sausage and the biscuits. And these British kids, they've never experienced anything like that because the kingdom that they're from, kingdom of England, the British kingdom, you know, they, they even got a king over there. At least they do now. They, there's certain things that that kingdom doesn't have. One of those things is flavor, all right? If, I don't know if you've ever been to England and tried their food. A breakfast for them. No joke. Well, I had the opportunity to, to study over there uh, for two weeks. And every, every day I had a, 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 an English breakfast. And it consisted of baked beans. Baked, like, like you go at a barbecue, baked beans, except without all the barbecue flavor, baked beans, toast, and a grilled tomato. Beans and toast is like how we would have biscuits and gravy, all right? Now listen, if your whole world has been for breakfast, I have baked beans and toast, and someone says, listen, there's another kingdom that's available to you. There's there's another world out there. Would you be interested in trying it, all right? That is a collision of kingdoms, as a collision of, of, of cultures, it's a collision of worlds. And I, I, uh, I have a clip of the video. The video, the, the whole thing is like 10 minutes long. I'm sure you can go find it uh, online for yourself. But I want to show you one portion, one portion where these high school boys are introduced to biscuits. They've already been introduced, to, but the gravy, and they're going to try it for the first time. Why don't you take, take, a, take a look? In America, you'd almost never just have that by itself. You'd almost always pair it with something. Oh yeah, I've had it this year. Gravy, gravy. Yeah. Gravy? What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> How did he eat scones and gravy? <laughs> now it's a bit different than the gravy you might it's know. It's white. That's not gravy. 
<laughs> that is not gravy. <laughs> what is that? That is not gravy, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it looks a bit like it has so no, many vegetables no. in it. Oh. oh my god. Yeah, it's lumpy. Oh, lovely. It's lumpy. You have to eat all of it. <laughs> you don't have to. Let's call it interesting. Let's call it interesting for now. We're not gonna, I'm not gonna make a judgment. Oh my days. Let's call it interesting. That okay. looks rank. Looks like a chopped up ferret. The thing is like gravy. <laughs> A chopped up ferret. It does though. <laughs> the a little chopped bits. up ferret. The little bits. Oh my! It looks like vomit. I can't oh no. lie. <laughs> it looks like vomit. To be honest. Okay. <laughs> I mean, gravy in England doesn't look like this. Quite runny normally, and yeah. it's not as thick as this, and yeah. it doesn't have like tons of bits in it. Well, dig in. Let's see what you think. <laughs> I'm so scared to try this. Why are you scared? Well, scones and gravy seems really weird. Oh my god, that's so good. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is good. <laughs> Considering in America you'd almost never just have that by itself, you'd almost always pair it with something. So we see the collision of kingdoms right there, all right? Now, if we were looking, now how many know that if you had beans and toast and you were introduced to be, uh, biscuits and gravy, that is a life-changing experience. In fact, that video goes on and they introduce them to things, to, to culinary delights like sweet tea and fried chicken as well. It only gets better from there. It only gets better. Why do I show that, why do I show that video? One, because we're gonna go out for biscuits and gravy afterwards, no. Uh, the reason is this is that so often we look at another kingdom, another culture, and what, 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 were, what were the kids, what were the kids, the boys saying? They were, they were definitely skeptical of this whole concept of scones and gravy, right? You notice they called it scones. They didn't even know what a biscuit was. They thought they were scones, and for the record, scones, disgusting. They're just dry muffins, that's all it is. That's all it is. If you disagree, if you disagree, that's fine. You can go, you can go to a British church, all right? And maybe there's an Anglican church somewhere, right? They serve scones afterwards. But they, they approached this different kingdom, this different culture. It was skeptical. It was misunderstood. They thought there were vegetables in it. I mean, we're Americans. We don't put vegetables in anything. Um, they, were, they, they, they were mocking it. They, th they thought it looked gross. There was nothing that, that wanted them to jump in. See, that's, that's the reality of when people are looking at their own kingdom and Jesus comes to this and says, listen, there's a new kingdom and I'm introducing it to you. And, I, and it's available to you right now, right here, today. And he was like, oh, Jesus. I mean, that, that's, that looks scary to me. That looks gross to me. That, I don't understand it. I mean, if I were to do that, there's all these things that we're skeptical, we're mocking, we're, 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 uh, we're misunderstanding. And there's a reason that Psalms 34 verse 8 says this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That until there comes a point where we jump in and say, Lord, I receive your kingdom, it's always going to be misunderstood. There's always going to be a level of skepticism with it. There's always going to be a place where, where it, it, it's scary until we take that step of faith to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a collision of kingdoms. It's a collision of kingdoms. And today, as we look at this, there's this place where the Lord wants us to receive all of the kingdom of God. In fact, he says this in, in Matthew chapter 16. He, he's talking to his disciples, and Peter has this moment where, where he confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And, and Jesus responds to him and says, on that confession, on that declaration, I will build my church, I, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter, what you have declared, your declaration of faith, your acknowledgement that, that, that I'm not just a prophet, I'm not just here spreading nice ideas. No, this is the Messiah, I am the King of kings, and I'm coming to bring the kingdom of God. On that confession, on that, on that fact, on that truth, on that declaration of faith, he promises to build his church. And that when it says that word church in, in, in the book of Matthew, it's the first time that, that the word church is used in the New Testament. And what that, mean, what that word in the Greek means is those who are called out. 
They're called, literally it means the called out ones. Meaning this, that on that confession that Jesus is the King of Kings, that Jesus is the Messiah, you are called out from your kingdom into the kingdom of God. From, your, from the place where you are in charge to the, now the place where Messiah, King Jesus is in charge. I'm, I'm, you're stepping out of your culture into the culture of the kingdom of God. It says, on that confession, I will build my church. I will build people called out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. I'm call, calling you out. I will build my church. And then the promise after that is, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What God wants to do in you, he wants to call us out of a place of darkness. He wants to call us out of a place of our own decision, our own kingdoms, into his kingdom. And his promise is that when that happens, hell itself will not prevail against what God is wanting to work and do in and through your lives. How many are thankful for that in Jesus' name? Hell itself will not prevail against you. But do you know what it also means? means that we get to build we we get to build the church we get to build our faith on right in front of the gates of hell as well in fact it says in Matthew chapter uh, chapter 11 that the from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force what does that mean it means that there's a collision of kingdoms and that collision of kingdoms happens happens when Jesus steps onto the scene. He is going to challenge you and your, and, and, and your own flesh and your own desires, your own, your own proclivities, your own sinful nature. He's gonna challenge those things and we have a choice to make. He's gonna come and he's gonna challenge the darkness. And in challenging the darkness, the kingdom of God will suffer violence. There's a collision of kingdoms and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is wanting each one of us to recognize the moment and the time that we are in. And I think if we were to look at the world around us and we were to take stock and we were to take, take a, a, an analysis of our culture and the situation that we're in, we recognize that there is a collision of kingdoms in the world around us. How many would say that's true? There's a, when you watch the news, you see a collision of kingdoms. When your kids bring home their, their homework, there's a collision of kingdoms. When you, when you, when you are, are evaluating your own, your own proclivities, your own struggles, there's a collision of kingdoms. And the Lord is saying to each one of us today, when you allow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and His kingdom and His reign and His rule to be established in your life, it doesn't mean that there's not a battle that takes place, but it means that the King of Kings, he's going to win. He's going to win. And when we are on his side, it's good. Because when he announces the kingdom is coming, here's what he says. He's all, here's what I'm coming to do. Here's what I'm coming to do. I'm coming to bring the kingdom of God in. And I'm come to preach the gospel to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, healing to the brokenhearted, set free those who are captive. Recovery of sight to the blind, and it's available to you right now, today. That's, what, that's the kingdom that he is bringing. And so often we look at the kingdom of God coming in, and we're like, oh no, I like the beans and toast. Don't, don't come in there with that biscuits and gravy. I mean, Jesus, have you ever had beans and toast? And he's like, yeah, I have. That's why I'm bringing something better, all right? And so often... So often in our own walk with the Lord, we look at what the word of God says. We look at the, what Jesus wants to bring into our life and we're saying, Lord, Lord, wait, wait. This, this is scary to me. This is scary to me because you're gonna cause me to give up something that is important. And he's like, I know. I am gonna cause you to do that because what I have for you is better. And the question is, do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? Because on the confession of, yes, I trust you. Yes, I trust you. He, can, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I was reading through the book of Daniel uh, this week and I came across a verse and it struck me because I didn't realize that this verse was at this place in the story, in, this, in the book of Daniel. It's in Daniel, if you have your Bible, Daniel chapter 6. 
Verse 26, and it says this, this declaration is reading out of the New Living Translation. He is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. How many would say, amen? Amen? This declaration is that, that God is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom is forever. He performs signs and wonders and he rec- and rescues his people. That's the testimony of who. There's no better summary of what the kingdom of God comes and brings in our lives than right here. That he is a living God who endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miracles, signs, and wonders in the heavens and on earth. As Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Where this, where this, the, this, uh, this verse is the conclusion of one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's found in Daniel chapter 6. If you've ever been to Sunday school, you know the story. If you've ever taught Sunday school, you know the story very well. If you've never been to church before, you probably know the story anyway. It's the conclusion of Daniel and the lion's den. How many have heard the story before? Daniel, we all know this one. Daniel and the lion's den. And I want us to to look at it today with some fresh eyes as as we read through it. Because as we see, I believe that there's five lessons in this story for for every believer, for every person that would say, like Peter, I'm confessing Jesus as my Savior, and there's a collision of kingdoms that's taking place. And I believe that there's five lessons for every believer when there's a collision of kingdoms, or when there's a collision of kingdoms. Some backstory here, Daniel is not living in Jerusalem, he's living in Babylon. He's living, uh, the, the, Israel has been captured, he has been captured with him. He is literally a refugee in a foreign land with an evil, uh, with an evil government. And that's where we pick up, uh, pick up the, the story. We're gonna read most of Daniel chapter six, and then we're gonna look at five lessons, five truths out of this story, coming from the place of what happens when kingdoms collide? And what, how do we respond as believers when we, are, when we find ourselves in between the collision of kingdoms? Because we find ourselves there. We fi- the reality of, of the, as we read through this story in Daniel, you may not be thrown in a lion's den, but you are facing the same struggle and the same conflict and the same choices that Daniel's having to make in the story. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a prince to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the princes and to watch out for the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all of the other administrators and princes because of his great ability. The king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Bottom line, there, the the, the ruler at the time divided the land into 100 and 120 provinces. He put three people in charge of those 120 leaders. Daniel's was one of those three. And he was excelling at his job, so much so that they said, we're going to put you in charge of the whole thing. Verse 4. And the other administrators and princes began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling his affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize. He was faithful. Repeat that with me. He was faithful. He was faithful. Let's try it one more time. He was faithful. And honest and always responsible. In fact, it's a fun fact. In the Old Testament, when Moses had to find uh, leaders to appoint, civic leaders, governmental leaders over the children of Israel, when Moses appointed them, there were two qualifications that he was looking for. Two qualifications that if we followed these two qualifications today, we would be completely fine. Number one, fear God. Number two, don't take bribes. Those are the only two qualifications. Do you fear God and are you willing to not take bribes? How many know that if our governmental leaders feared God and didn't take bribes, we'd be in a lot better shape, right? Who says the Bible is out of date, right? I mean, that's, that's as relevant today as it's ever been. Uh, verse, uh, verse five, so they concluded, uh, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the requirements of his religion. 
So the administrators and princes went to the king, long live King Darius, we administrators, prefects and princes and advisors and other officials have unanimously agreed that your majesty should make a law that will be strictly enforced, give orders that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone divine or human except to your majesty will be thrown to the lions and let your majesty issue and sign this into law so it cannot be changed, a law of the Medes and Persians which cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Bottom line, what's happening is that these guys come and says, oh, King Darius, you're so, you're so wonderful. Uh, we think that everyone should, should honor, worship, pray to you, and nothing else. And King Darius says, that is an awesome idea. I mean, who, who, who would say no to that? Apparently, King Darius didn't. And uh, he signed that into law. Verse 10, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual. Everyone say, as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, say always done, giving thanks to his God. The officials went together to Daniel's house, found him praying and asking the Lord for help. So when they went back to the king, he reminded them about his law. Did you not sign a law that the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone divine or human except to your majesty will be thrown to the lions? And the king said, yes, what a wonderful decision I just made. That decision stands and it is the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. When it says it cannot be revoked, the reason at that time in that culture is that the person who was the ruler, the king or the, the leader of that city often would would look at themselves as divine themselves. So any, any word that came from their mouth was just a word from heaven, golden, you know, no mistake in it. And, uh, and so that's what he's referring to. In fact, they, they wouldn't go back on their word because once it was said, it was like the word of a God. And so there, there's, some, uh, there's some pride issues going on here. But verse 13, we continue on with the story. And then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, he's paying no attention to your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was very angry with himself for signing the law, and he tried to find a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In that evening, the men went together to the king and said, your majesty knows that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested, thrown into the den of the lions. And the king said to him, may your God, whom you worship, continually rescue you. A stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den, and the, and the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seal of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel from the lions. And the king returned to his palace, spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king hurried out to the lion's den, and when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you worship continually able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered. Now, verse 21, this is the first time we see that Daniel responds in this story. We're going to talk about that in a second. Long live the king. My God sent his angel to the shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered Daniel to be lifted from the den, and not a scratch was found, uh, was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Uh, skipping down to verse uh, 26. I decree, and this is the King Darius, sent this message throughout the land. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Why do we read this story, story today? Why do we read this account? I believe that there's five lessons in this story. And you really need to be able to hear the whole story as, as recorded in Scripture to see these five lessons. Five lessons for us as believers. What happens when there is a collision of kingdoms? What happens when the kingdoms around us come in conflict, conflict with the kingdom of God within us? First lesson is this, is be excellent where God places you. Be excellent where God places you. Daniel excelled at the place where God placed him. Was he in the place that he wanted to be? No, he wasn't. He was in Babylon. He wasn't in Jerusalem. But he excelled in that place. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it's one of the 
more famous verses in, in Scripture. I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are for good and not for evil, and they are to give you a future and a hope. How many love that verse? I mean, that's, that's a great verse. That was written to the children of Israel at, during the time of Daniel. During the time of Daniel. And here's, here's the profound reality of that word. That word was written, that prophecy, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have towards you, say the Lord, they're for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Because the children of Israel were new refugees in Babylon. They weren't in Jerusalem. And they were wondering, saying, what's, what's going to happen? Should we settle down? Should we build houses? Should we get married? Should we have kids? Or is the world so crazy and so terrible around us that we should just hunker down Close the doors, draw the shades, and just wait out until the Lord, the Lord returns and sends us back to Jerusalem. Have you ever met a Christian who looks at the world around us and says, we're all going to hell in a handbasket, lock the doors, get the gun, don't talk to anybody, and we're just waiting until Jesus comes back. Have you ever met, ever met somebody like that? I have. I have. They're probably not here today. You know where they are? Behind locked doors in their house. All right? And there's this, there's this fear-based reality when we look at the, the chaos around us and we say, God, it couldn't get worse than what I'm seeing right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to gather my kids together. I'm going to shelter them from anything that's going on and I'm going to keep them close. I'm going to let anything bad happen to them or to me. We're going to lock the doors and nothing bad's going to ever happen to us. To those people at that time in Babylon, the prophet Jeremiah wrote and says, here's what the Lord would say to you. Plant a farm. Grow fruits and vegetables. Marry, have kids, build houses. For I know the thoughts and the plans that I have towards you, says the Lord. They are for good and not for evil. And they're to give you a future and a hope. Here's the reality of the kingdom of God. That where God has put you, he will prosper you even if that place is in Babylon, even if that place is the antithesis of what you would see as righteousness, even if that place is the worst possible place that you could, even if that place took you out of your home, took you across halfway around the world into a godless city, the Lord says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. They are good and they're not for evil and they're to give you a future and a hope. If you look at the culture around us and you would say, Pastor, I am scared where we're going. Here's the reality. Jesus says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. For I know the thoughts that I have towards you. They are to give you a future and a hope. God has hope for us, even if we find ourselves in the middle of Babylon. So wherever you are at, wherever you are at, be excellent where God places you because he will prosper you where he places you. How many would say amen to that? Amen. Lesson number two. In a clash of kingdoms, your allegiance, your allegiance will be tested. Your allegiance will be tested. Daniel had an interesting reality that he was facing. He had an interesting reality that he was facing. One, he was a man of God and his allegiance was to the Lord. Number two, he was one of the rulers of the city. It was, it's interesting that when you look at that Jeremiah 29, 11, in light of what Daniel was doing, he was one of the rulers, one of the higher ups in that time, in that place. He was prospering where the Lord planted him, even though it wasn't a place that he would have chosen. So he was a city official, he was a man of God, and he was a servant to the king. His allegiances were off the charts. And we see that the government took a stand directly against Daniel's faith. Directly against Daniel's faith. I know that that has been a question at times. What will happen when the governments of the world come against Christian faith? It happens, it's happening in Europe, happens in, in, in Canada right now. It will happen here. It has happened here. What do we do? What do we do? Why were these laws written? And there's three reasons that I see that these laws that these laws, that this law here in Daniel chapter 6 was written. Number one, there was an anti-Christ anti spirit present right there. There were those that were actively plotting against Daniel and his faith. 
They said the only way that we can trip him up is to, to go after his faith. So that one, there was, there was that reality. Number two, the second reason that we see that th- there was this, uh, this law that was written is that there was the King Darius, the king at the time, his own, his own hubris and his own arrogance, his own, his own pride. Oh, you want a law where everyone worships me? Yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, let's just be honest. That, that's, why, that's why he wrote that law. And then the third, the third reason is that it seemed like a good idea at the time. Have ever, anyone ever heard of a law in, in a state or in a country that it seemed like a really good idea at the time, but at the end of the day, it was the wisdom of man, not the wisdom of God. If only there was ever a contemporary example of something like that, but I digress. Those were, those were a mix of all three of those was why this law was written, was, was why this law was written. So what was Daniel going to do? I, from, my, from my observation, he had three, he had a responsibility of a governmental employee, he had the responsibility to the king, and he had a responsibility to God, and there's this clash of kingdoms. He wasn't going to be able to please everyone. So there's a test of allegiances. When we come into the clash of the kingdoms in the worlds around us, it tests our own allegiance. It tests our own, our, own, uh, our own priority of worship. Our own priority of worship. How did Daniel make, how, how did, Daniel had three choices. One, he could switch allegiances. He could prioritize the king and, and, and pray to him. That, that, that is an option on the table. It's a shifting of, uh, a shifting of worship. We, the other option is Daniel stops praying and, and he just says, hey, I'm gonna take a month break. You know, pastor's been, uh, pastor's sermons haven't been real good, so I'm just going to stop, I'm, I'm stop coming to church for a, a, a month. Uh, I'm going to cease praying. Where he really doesn't, he's not shifting allegiance, he just has no allegiance. He's living for his own, his own self-preservation. The other option is that Daniel, and that maybe this was the most logical one, he keeps praying, but he just prays in secret. He just closes the window. He doesn't let anyone see what's going on. And, you know, that would be the prudent response because we don't want to get anyone in trouble. You know, I mean, you know, you know he, Daniel doesn't have to be flashy about his faith, right? I mean, he, God honors the prayer in secret just like he does the prayer in public, right? Right? But that's not what Daniel did. I'm not saying that God doesn't see in secret and that we shouldn't pray when people aren't looking. But here's, here's the reality. Daniel didn't change how he was living. He was praying three times a day. He didn't pray more. He didn't pray less. He prayed the same amount. He prayed with the window open towards Jerusalem like the Psalms uh, t- talk about. He didn't close the window. He continued to do what he knew what was right and continued in, in consistent obedience to the word of God. And that put him in conflict with the kingdom of the world around him. This whole idea that we should somehow back off from our faith to appease the critics around us C.S. Lewis talks about this. C.S. Lewis is an apologist in the, in the 50s. He wrote, a, he wrote a, a book called The Screwtape Letters where it's a fictional account. It's his imagination of how the demons would talk together to, to deceive and, and divide the people of God. In that, he talks about the satanic and, and the demonic agenda for the people of God to back off of their faith. And here, here's, here's the quote. C.S. Lewis says this. If you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point. You can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good, as, uh, as, is as good for us as no religion at all. And it's more amusing. This is in his fictional account, the demons talking together, saying, listen, if we can get people to say, oh, you know, I, I, can, do, I can do this faith thing up to a point, but oh, that's too far. That's too far. You're basically, you're basically neutering the church and neutering believers into living their faith behind the scenes so that it has no influence in the world around them and no influence in the culture. If Daniel were to have closed his windows, no one would have been able to see but there also would never have been a testimony of his faithfulness to the Lord. There will always be a place. You may say, Pastor, I would never go and worship another king. I believe you. But would you close the door so that people don't know what you're doing behind closed doors? I remember there was a friend of mine 
and he worked out. He worked at this uh, fairly large corporation, and he was an outspoken believer. And there was a situation that happened. He'd worked there for 15 years, and he was talking with one of the vice presidents, and he had worked with this guy for about a dozen years. And he was starting to share his faith. He said, oh, I go to church every week. I just, I just don't bring it here into the, into, the, into the office. And my friend was saying, I've worked with you for over a decade, and I didn't even know you were interested in God. I didn't even know. It's this place where we close the doors. We close the doors, and we remove our light from the conflict of the kingdoms that's happening. And the Lord says, here's the reality, is that I'm bringing light into the darkness, and if we close the door, the, dark, the light is no longer there. And we, have, we, 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 uh, we back off from the conflict for self-preservation purposes, and the Lord says, no, no, I'm here to do a miracle on your behalf, and I'm looking for someone who's willing to pray with the windows open. I would say amen to that. Amen. So we see, we see these, these, these three lessons. Number one, number one is, is that God wants to prosper you where he plants you. Number two, he wants to, uh, th- th- that a conflict of kingdoms, there will be a questioning of your allegiance. Where is your allegiance? Where, where is it going to be? With Daniel, it's clear where it is. He, it is with the Lord. Number three is that when there is a conflict of the kingdoms, there will be a fight. There will be a fight. And I know we don't like to fight. We don't like the conflict, I, and I understand. No one, no one wakes, well, most people don't wake up in the morning and say, I just can't wait to fight something, all right? There are some people, all right? There are some people, but not most of us. But there will be a fight. And as we see Daniel in this moment, he has to make this choice. And he is choosing to honor God, but he is also choosing not to dishonor the king. He's breaking the king's rule, He's going against what the king is saying, but he's not bringing dishonor to the king. And we see that in the verse 21, where, where Daniel, as he is, as he's rescued from the lion's den, and the king's calling down to him, and he says, hey, listen, I'm fine. Why? The Lord found me innocent, and I did not, and I did not dishonor you. Honoring the Lord is not dishonoring the people around you. And there will be voices that will say that very fact. It's not the truth. It's not the truth. The Lord is saying, through, through, the witness, through the witness of Daniel here, is that there will be a fight. There will be a fight when there's a clash of kingdoms. But number, number four, the fourth lesson is this. Even though there will be a fight, the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. Even though we have to make the choice, even though we have to make the stand, what is our response? And so often we can look at the culture conflict and the, the kingdom collision around us. And it's easy to make the statement of, I'm keeping the windows open and I'm going to pray. But I am going to dishonor those who are in power who put me in this position. I'm just going to be honest. I know that, I know that you know, I, I read a, a poll recently Talking about our upcoming election in 18 months, President Biden said he's going to run this week, and Trump said he's going to, he's going to run a couple weeks ago. And they asked, they asked, they, they polled Americans. They said, how do you feel about this? What, what's the one word that comes to mind? The most, the most common word? Exhausted. <laughs> that was, I'm, I'm exhausted by the thought of this. We're 18 months from the vote, and we're already exhausted. I also know and hearing how, how people talk about the rulers that the Lord has put in over us, whether that's the ruler from four years ago or the ruler now, that there's plenty of dishonor that goes on. There's plenty of dishonor that goes on. Daniel had the government of the time throw him into the lion's den, and he did not dishonor God, and he did not dishonor the civic leadership that was there. And by bringing honor to both, saw a miracle and a sign and a wonder that take place, that, listen, turned, turned the heart of the king to the Lord. The witness of the... Ch- now, the people that were antagonistic, that antichrist spirit, because remember, there was three reasons that those laws was put, put into place. One, it was, there was an antichrist spirit that was, that was present. Those people were brought to destruction. In fact, the king threw them into, the, into Daniel's lion's den at the end of the story. 
So the Lord wins. The Lord wins and justice is brought. But two, the king that in his own hubris and his own pride and his own just sin, sinfulness made that law, his heart is turned because of the witness of Daniel, which did not dishonor him in the midst of even the fact that he had to go into the lion's den. And there's this place that I believe that the voice of the church in our culture today, regardless of, what, regardless of your opinion about who's in charge, and, they, and you know, there's a famous saying, I think it's in the Bible somewhere, that opinions are like armprits. Everyone has them, and they usually stink. All right? That's in the Proverbs somewhere, somewhere toward the back. That's a joke. That's not in Proverbs, but it should be. Anyway, what is our response is that we honor God. We honor God. And we honor, we honor the leadership that he places over us, even if we have to disagree, even if we have to disobey with it. Because make no mistake, Daniel disobeyed the law. He broke the law and honored the king simultaneously. What does that mean for us as believers? It means that we can live without compromise in the world around us and still live, as Jesus calls us, loving our enemies and loving those who would throw us into the lion's den, loving those and honoring those who are antagonistic to us. How many understand what I'm saying? All right, worship team, come on up. I said there were five lessons. We're a little behind. Number one, number one, first lesson is this. Wherever God puts you, he's gonna prosper you. So be excellent where he places you. Number two, your allegiance, when there's a clash of kingdoms, your allegiance will be tested. Your allegiances will be tested. The Lord is number one. And when the Lord is number one, everything else falls into order. And we can be faithful, we can be faithful and honor. We can be disobedient and honor. Number three, there will be a fight. Get excited. There will be a fight. When there's a clash of kingdoms, there's always a battle. But the good news, lesson number four, is that the gates of hell do not prevail against the people of God. And number five is this. There is a future and there is a hope for everyone. Even if you find yourself in Babylon, even if you find yourself with the clash of kingdoms, even if you find yourself with a ruler you wouldn't prefer, even if you find yourself being subject to laws that you don't agree with, there is a future and a hope for you. It is a, a transformational thought to me that when Jesus says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, they are, to, they are good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And he's talking to a bunch of refugees in Babylon with an evil king having been stolen from their land. It's the worst possible place that you could even imagine. And the Lord says, I see you and my plans for you are good. Regardless of where you find yourself today, God's heart towards you is good. God's thoughts towards you are good and not evil. His plans for you are to give you a future and a hope. So if you look at the world around us and you would say, I have no hope, that is not a thought of the Lord because God's thoughts towards you are to give you a future and a hope. There is hope for you. There is hope for your family. There is hope for this city. There's hope for this nation. And that hope is because Jesus is on the throne. And when Jesus is on the throne, nothing else matters. There's a collision of kingdoms and we have to make the decision who's king and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you call us to invite you into a place where you are king and you are Lord. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I've never opened up my heart to the love of Jesus Christ. And today, I, I'm, you're, you're talking about a collision of kingdoms. And when I look at that, I know that I, I, there's a place where I, I sit on the throne of my own life and I need to make you Lord of my life. If that's you today, and you would say, Pastor, I need to open up my heart to the love of Jesus Christ. Would you just raise your hand right now? And in raising your hand, you're bearing witness to me that today you're opening up your heart to Jesus Christ. Just looking around the room, any eyes? I agree with you. Is that why you're looking at me? That today you're opening up your heart to Jesus? All right. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else here today? 
at the decision that you're making. Lord, I thank you for who you are and I thank you for your word to us today. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would step in as your people when the world seems to be falling apart around us. Lord, we stand on your word that you, your thoughts towards us are to give us a future and a hope. Your call to us is to build your kingdom. And when we do, the gates of hell don't prevail against the people of God. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your truth and we apply it to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, ushers, would you come forward? As, uh, as the ushers come forward, we have a couple of announcements. We're going to come and worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings today. And as we do, we have a couple of things. Couple of things. One, I want to thank everyone who regularly gives and is a part of, of, the, uh, of helping this church be the Lord's hands and feet around the world. We talked last week about the, the work that's happening in Ukraine and around the world with, with our, our various missionaries. I want to thank you for your faithful giving. Uh, you can give a couple of ways today. You can give in the, in the room as the buckets come by you. You can also give online at gracesanmarcos.net. Or if you prefer to text, you can text GRACESM to 77977. And as we give today, let's pray. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we can honor and worship you with everything that you place in our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. As the buckets come through the room, if you're here for the first time and you filled out a Get Connected card, this would be a great time to put that Connect card in uh, in the bucket. And Melissa, you have some uh, Yes, this is us. an exciting week. So ladies, make sure to get your tickets. We have our ladies' lunch this coming Saturday. We'd love to have all of you be a part of that. If there's also a friend or your sister or your daughter that you'd like to bring, we'd love to have them as well. So please just make sure you get your tickets so we can have enough food for everybody that'd be coming. Also, this is National Day of Prayer Week that's coming up. And so we wanted to let you know, um, May the 3rd, we are going to celebrate it a day early here on Wednesday night. We're going to have that be a prayer focus. So if you would like to be praying for your nation, which I think all of us want to do that. So if you're able to make that as an effort, this, this coming Wednesday night is going to be a special service for the National Day of Prayer this week. All right, let's stand together. And as, and as we stand again, as Melissa said, this Wednesday, National Day of Prayer. How many love our nation? All right, if you love it, if you think there's a problem with it, you better come and pray. All right, we all need prayer. So I would love, I would love to see this room filled as we come and pray for our nation uh, this, this uh, Wednesday night, seven o'clock right here. Lord, as we leave this place, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that you are planting in our heart. May we go with your power and your authority. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.